Amen. Very good. Let's take the Word of God. We'll go to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter 3, and you can turn to page number 61 in your notes there. Well, I'm very thankful to be here, and I've been at the Victory Conference for many years, and uh, as Dr. Jim said, uh, that's kind of the first time that I got to know any of the Van Gelderns or anything to do with Falls Baptist or Baptist College of Ministry. What Dr. Jim didn't tell you in that uh, camp I remember standing in line. I, had, I took our teens to camp that year because my assistant had left and he took a church. And so I took our young people. And I was standing in line waiting to receive a hot dog. That's what they had for that day. And I watched as Dr. Jim walked in, looked at the food, and turned around and drove off. All right? And so I've always wondered why he didn't take me with him. But, um, but what a great blessing. And Dr. Jim and, of course, Pastor Wayne here have just been a tremendous influence in my own personal life and my family as well. I remember coming to the conference for the very first time and it changed my life. It really did. And I believe our church has been influenced by this. We've had a bended knees seminar at our church and that has been just truly life-changing. And we have some graduates from this college on staff and we are very, very thankful. I'm honored to be here today. And as I stand before you, what I'm going to talk to you about is something that in my own life, I'm asking God to teach me more and more of. I can look back on my life and I can see where often I did not think right about God. And I want you to think about this subject. What do you think about God? I think often in times the trials of life reveal what we really believe about God. It brings it to the surface. My wife is here and I'm thankful for my wife and my son being with me, my wife and I will celebrate 25 years of being married in July, and I'm so grateful for that. But early in our marriage, I remember my wife lovingly, caringly, and I'm grateful that she did it. She said, honey, you don't think right about God. Well, that gets your attention, does it not? And it made me come back to what do I really believe about God? I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I loved every minute of it. But I remember being a youth pastor that I did a little experiment with our young people. I told them, I said, I'm going to give you a piece of paper. I don't want you to put your name on it because I want you to be honest with me. But I want you to write down what you think about God. The Lord has given us the privilege to have a Bible club. Dr. Jim has been to it and we've seen the Lord do some amazing things there. And I also did this in the Bible club. And I want to read to you a couple of comments what young people, no names on this, do not know who they are, but what they wrote about God. One young person wrote, I feel like I could never please him, that no matter what I do, it won't be enough, that I'm so far from him that I could never have a close relationship with him, no matter how hard I try. Here's another one. I think God loves and cares about me. I see his promises being fulfilled every day. He protects me in everything I do, and he also provides for me. Their view of God, here's another one. I think God hates me. God made me with a learning disability. Here's another one. God is to me not what I have been told. I have mixed thoughts about God. I think I'm far, far away from God. I think I could be doing better for God. I'm not so sure I ever got saved because I feel too far away from God to have ever been saved. I want to find a way back to God. My walk with God is very weak. Here's another one. 
God is my friend who is always with me and never leaves me. He is protecting me and loves me so much. Here's another one. God is just. He is the creator. But I don't think he really answers prayer. He has not helped me with anything yet, so I don't think he can. Here are some from a Bible club. We're talking about a public school where we've seen lots of young people come to know the Lord. I believe God is the most high. The Lord is my Lord, the great I am. He has the key to everlasting life. He is the only one that can bring real satisfaction and love. God gave his only son because he loves me. He gave us the gift of life. No matter what I do, nothing can change his love for me. Nothing I do can change it ever. He is the truth, the life. He is love. God is good. God will listen to me. He will understand. He loves me. He has a plan for me. I think that person had a right view of God. This one says, I believed God didn't like me, but after I started going to church, I realized that was the devil talking. Now I know that God loves me. I know now he cares about me. God is loving, kind, and gracious. I'm not going to read all of these, but you know something? These are from the hearts of young people. I've had kids, we have a Christian school, and I've dealt with so many kids that because of divorce, they think wrong about God. Because of some tragedy in life, they have a wrong view of God. Maybe because they've been abused, they have a wrong view of God. But I have found it to be true in many of us who have gone to church for many years that there are areas in our life where we don't think right about God. I believe this, a distorted view of God always brings defeat. When we have a distorted view of God, it brings defeat. It is dangerous and it is devastating to the life of any child of God. We come to Philippians chapter 3 and I want us to begin in verse number 7. The Bible says, But what things were gained to me... Those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of which is of God by faith. And Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now for Paul, what was this prize? It was that he would know God. We understand from Paul's life that Paul thought right about God. He understood who God was and as Dr. Jim talked about in the last session, we will never know ourselves like we need to know ourselves until we know God. In fact, I believe we can never have the right self-image until we have the right God image. Yeah. So this afternoon, I pray that God will help us. Would you join me in prayer? And let's pray for the Lord's blessing. Father in heaven, it is a, a blessing to be here. Lord, I've come really to be blessed 
And I've come to be encouraged, and you've always done that. But Lord, now I pray that you will enable me to do what I can never do. And I pray you'd speak to the hearts of these dear people. Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for their love for you, their friendships. And I pray this afternoon that you will meet with us. Lord, help us to think right about thee, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wrote down, we're on page 61 of our notes, but I put down here what A.W. Tozer said. And I remember just as a teenager reading this book and how it impacted my life. But he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He went on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And this afternoon, what is your mental image of God? What do you think of God? Number one, I want you to write down this. Number one, your view of God can be flawed. And I think it's important for us to understand that everyone here has a certain view of God. In fact, we were born with a flawed view of God because of our inherent selfish nature. You take children when they're just little. Children do not see their parents correctly. They see their parents as only taking care of them, meeting my needs. And they're mad and angry often when the parent does not meet their need. But some people view God in that same way. As long as God meets my needs, as long as God is blessing me and God is good to me, then God must be good. But if things are not going well in my life, then God must not be good because things are not well for me. You see, we often have a flawed view of our God. In fact, our view of God is often very immature and it is flawed in that we see that God is only there to just bless us. I wonder this afternoon, do you see God as what he can do for you or how you can serve him? Brethren, many Christians function with this flawed view of God and it is interesting to understand that often we are more prone to believe lies about God than we are the truth about God. There is something about human nature that we are often easy to believe lies about other people or about other things rather than to believe the truth. In fact, there's something about human nature. We would rather believe a lie than the truth. So we must know that our minds often, we have a flawed view of God. I thank God for my parents and they know the Lord, love the Lord. My dad's a pastor in Tennessee where I was born and raised. But my dad and mom are first generation Christians. My dad grew up in a home. He was born very normal, but just a few months after my dad was born, he contracted the polio virus just a few months before the polio vaccine came out. So my dad's leg, if you were to see him, is smaller, and my dad walks with the limp. As my dad grew up in his home, a father who did not know the Lord, a very angry, in fact, in many ways, a very ungodly man, he grew up in a home with his own father making fun of him because of his disability. He grew up in a home where his mom was distant, pretty much uh, just uh, was kind of absent because of uh, uh, drugs that she would take, prescription drugs. But she was just almost, the, my dad's life grew up that way with a father that he did not believe ever loved him, and even to this day, and a mother who was so absent. My dad has told me often that his view of God was so <laughs> distorted because of his family upbringing. And when my dad came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, it changed everything about his life. 
But my dad will tell you that even to this day, there are things that he has a hard time imagining to be true about God because of his upbringing. And I believe there's lots of people that struggle with this image because of their father or image because of their mother or because of some authority figure in their life. And it's flawed. It's distorted. It is not the right view of the God of the Bible. We see that there is no greater disaster, I believe, in the spiritual life than living in unreality. In fact, we often have illusions about God that are not true, that are something we made up, something that was brought upon us. And by the way, that brings us to some wrong views of God. Now, there's no way that I could put down all the wrong views of God, but I pray that you'll look at these because I pray that we often deal with these. Letter number A... The wrong view of God that God is not good. Now take your Bibles and let's go back to Genesis, please. Genesis chapter number 3. Because it is interesting to me that in the Word of God, the very first instance of our enemy, the devil, we find that the devil distorts the view of God to Adam and Eve. You see, this is his main objective. This is what the devil seeks to do. He wants to distort the view of God. Often what happens in your life and in my life when some catastrophic event happens to you? Do you know what the devil's quick to do? He wants us to think that there is something wrong with God. When I was in Bible college, my dad had purchased a few little shotgun homes. That's what we call them in Knoxville, Tennessee. And And there were three homes, and we were going to tear down the middle home and remodel the two, just small little homes. My dad said, son, at college, try to get some guys, and we're going to do some demolition work. Well, you know guys love to destroy things, so it was not hard to find some guys to do that. One young man, his name was Troy, Troy Holmes. And Troy uh, had gotten saved. He literally played football for LSU, and he came to Bible college. Troy and I were friends. He was engaged to a lovely young lady. They were going to go to the mission field and serve the Lord. My dad told all of us there, he said, boys, now look, this house is a little different. It has a concrete slab, but it was a space underneath it that you could literally crawl underneath there. He said, boys, don't get underneath that house. We're going to try to take this down like we need to. Well, Troy was the type of guy that, well, he just loved to, you know, muscle his way through. We don't know how it happened. But somehow Troy got underneath that house, and he hit something, and that house came crashing down. I was there. I remember his future brother-in-law screaming and hollering and we could not get the concrete off of his body. It was impossible. It seemed like it took forever, but I know it was only moments before the rescue squad got there and they lifted that concrete and they drug his lifeless body out from beneath that house. I remember going to the hospital with my dad and we were devastated. Is Troy going to live? And the doctor came out and looked at me and my dad and said, I'm sorry, but Troy is dead. And I'm going to tell you something. I entered into a time in Bible college to where I just did not understand what God was doing. It made no sense to me. Here's this boy's going to be a missionary. God saved him. He's going to go and tell others about Jesus Christ. And it was days that I wrestled with my view of God. And in that moment, God did not seem to be good because I could not understand it. But I was dealing with the flawed view of God because my enemy, the devil, wanted me to think wrong about God. And the devil works in our lives. He puts thoughts in our minds. He's able to do it. And he wants us to think that there is something wrong with God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 5. The word of God says this to us. You know the story of how that Adam and Eve, God had commanded that they not take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here comes the serpent. 
the devil himself in verse number five, and he speaks to her and he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The first time that we see the devil in the Bible, he attempts to distort the view of God. And Romans 1.25 says it true, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And what is happening even today? He changes the truth of who God is in our lives into a lie. And the enemy here, the devil's main objective was to cause Adam and Eve to think that God was not being as good to them as he could have been. The idea was, Eve, listen, God, he knows something that you don't know. And God is holding something back from you. And if God gave you this, you would be really happy. You would be fulfilled and satisfied in life. And what did they do? They doubted the goodness of God, which led to their rebellion. You see, Satan's attack in the garden was not really against man. It was against God. And brethren, the war is always against God. In our world today, what is the devil doing? It's against God. It is God's view, and he wants to distort the view of God. I'm sure you've had it happen to you. I've been out visiting and soul winning before and knock on the door to people. They used to go to church, but they got hurt. They're mad at God. God is not good to them. You see, the devil accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He distorted their view of God. C.H. McIntosh said this, Need we wonder, therefore, that Satan's grand design was to rob the creature of the true knowledge of the only true God? He misrepresented the blessed God. He said he was not kind. You see, they were convinced that God was not good to them. In fact, I believe that often Christians just don't think God is good. Number B, or letter number B, notice this. Here's another wrong view of God and that is that God is distant. Now, I'm a pastor, and I'm thankful to be a pastor. I've only been a pastor for 12 years. And in some ways, I feel like I'm just getting started learning how to pastor and to love people. But you know what? The devil is quick to make us think God's left you. God's taken his hand, a blessing off of your life. It's distant. I won't have you turn there, but in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7, notice the children of Israel, the Bible says, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? You know what they said? God's not with us. God has forsaken us. I've had people tell me sitting in counseling and, you know, often when you deal with counseling, you have to get to the root issue of what's going on. And often the root issue is their view of God, that God is distant. I read some of these notes here and some of these people said, God is far, far away. Have you ever felt that way before? I think we all have. I think there's been times when we think God has abandoned us. God has, is not working in our life like he used to work. But it is nothing but a lie of our enemy. In fact, I believe this. If we are going to know God, we must, in a sense, know his presence. Now, we're thankful we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And the Holy Spirit, we can experience God in that way. But brethren... Do you recognize God's presence in your life? Do you recognize his hand? We should look for the hand of God in all areas of our life. Look for his hand. In fact, folks, 
You cannot recognize his presence without having the right view of God. Years ago when I was a youth pastor and we would have what we'd call public school revivals and we would go into public schools and we would invite young people to come to our church for a three-day rally. But we would send out buses and vans to pickup points, places like Dairy Queen and bowling alleys and places where we knew teens could congregate. And I remember we were trying to have a big day and I wanted to bring teenagers in and I was going to preach the word of God to them. And the forecast was that it was going to rain and it was going to rain. And I knew those teens wouldn't go to those pickup points if it was going to rain. Well, I remember praying. And I'll tell you this. I prayed and I fasted. I said, God, I pray that you'll hold off the rain. I thought if the prophet could hold it off for three years, I could do it for three hours, hopefully, all right? (laughs) And can I tell you something? That night, we sent the buses out, and it was like the heavens opened, and it rained like I had never seen it rain before. Now, to be honest with you, I was so discouraged. I was defeated. I was thinking, Lord, what, what? I prayed. I fasted. Lord, I believe I'm right with you. God seems so distant. Until that night when I walked in the gym and we had more teenagers than we'd ever had that week. And I came up to a group of guys strapping strong and uh, looked kind of like a football team. And I came up to them and I said, hey guys, we're glad you're here. They said, yeah, yeah, we're part of the football team. And if it hadn't rained, we'd have never been here tonight. You know something, in that moment, that moment, I sensed God's presence. The Lord saying, son, I have it under control. I answered your prayer, but not in the way you wanted it to be answered. You see, do we recognize his presence? He is working. He is drawing us. God is distant. Letter number C, another wrong view of God. God hates me. We come to Deuteronomy chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but verse number 27 says, And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us. He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, To destroy us. You know what the children of Israel said? God hates us. They said God is distant. He is not good. No wonder the children of Israel, many of them never entered into the promised land. And may I say this to you this afternoon. We will never know the victorious Christian life unless our view of God is correct. In fact, I believe that murmuring is nothing but an outward expression of a heart that says God does not love me. You see, murmuring really is unbelief in the, in the care of God. Murmuring is when we complain and we gripe and, and uh, we bicker about things in our life that we do not think are fair. And we think that God hates us. In fact, do you remember the disciples when they were on the ship and Jesus was in the bottom of the ship? You remember? I mean, the, I mean it was a storm like they had never encountered. Jesus sleeping in the bottom. You remember they came and they woke up the Savior and they made this statement, carest thou not that we perish. They said, Jesus, we're all going to die and you're dying with us. You see, in that sense, they murmured, they blamed God. Do you know what murmuring really is? It is a dissatisfaction with God's choice in our life. It is accusing God. You know, I believe that there are many Christians that their view of God is really a view of judgment. They have put God, really, they've judged God. They have criticized God. They have murmured against God, and they've said, God hates me. I said it before, but often in the times and trials of life, God reveals to us what we think about God. Going back to the illustration that I gave you, when that happened in college, and 
when I was there, and you know, you, you, you think everything. I wish I could have done this, or we shouldn't have done that. All of those thoughts go through your mind. But the devil accused God to me. The devil put thoughts in my mind like, God could have kept that from happening, and that was true. The devil put thoughts in my mind, uh, here is a young man, God must not have cared for him, and God must not love you. And I remember what it was like to bear that and to deal with that, but it was a wrong view of God. Our view of God often is so flawed and distorted. Letter number D, another view of God that is wrong, God is not fair. Now, I personally believe that this is one view of God that many Christians struggle with, including myself. Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 2. By the way, let's think about Jonah just for a minute. Jonah's mind or ideal of God had developed into a cynical view of God. You know what cynicism is? It's kind of like the man and his wife sitting on the front porch and He's reading the paper and he's looking at all the bad news and he says to his wife, Martha, Martha, I'll tell you, this world is so crazy. I mean, everything is out of control. He said, honey, I'm glad. I think this whole world's crazy except me and you. Went back to reading his paper and they looked back over her and he said, and honey, sometimes I worry about you, you know? <laughs> you know, if we're not careful, we can almost develop that kind of attitude that really we're the only ones serving God. But let's put it into Jonah's ideal. Jonah thought that God was not fair. In fact, he developed a cynical view of God. Look what he said in Jonah chapter 4, verse number 2. Now, by the way, when we read this, you're going to think Jonah had it right, but his view was wrong. The Bible says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Now, folks, don't misunderstand. Jonah was not saying, God, you're such a great God. You're such a long-suffering God. No, the context, Jonah is angry. A great revival has taken place and the people have repented and they've turned to God. But Jonah hated these people. Jonah really did not want revival to come to them. And Jonah now has a view of God that God is not fair. In fact, in Jonah's mind, there seemed to be an inconsistency between the love of God and the justice of God. In fact, he struggled to understand that how could God be a God of justice and yet allow such evil to go unpunished? You know, we struggle with this. We maybe get hurt, we get wounded, and it seems as if the people get away with it. It seems as if we are left with the wounds and the scars and we think, wait a minute, God, where is your justice? And we know that he is perfect in his justice. But where is his justice in what we have been dealing with? You see, Jonah's mind, Jonah was angry with God. Brethren, can I say this to you? Our churches, I believe, are getting into trouble today because we have diminished the view of God. I believe families are getting into trouble today and families are falling apart because they have diminished the view of God. The view of God is not what it should be in their home. I wonder in my church, I ask myself the question, what is the view of God at Grace Baptist Church? What do people think about God from being there, hearing the word of God preached, and being around the people of God at Grace Baptist? You see, the most important thing, as Tozer said, about your life 
is what you think about God. In fact, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, the Bible says this, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it, or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? We had a family just join our church and they, it took them two years before they joined our church. They'd been to all kinds of different denominations, knew the Lord, but were so confused about biblical truth and biblical doctrine. I've met with them many different times, and they finally joined the church. And the man confided in me one day. We went out making visits together. He wanted to go with me, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, let me tell you a little bit about my upbringing. He talked about his dad. He talked about how that his dad left them as a family. He said his dad wanted nothing to do with him. And he said to me, Pastor, that never has left me. And he said, there was one day, preacher, that you were talking. And, and I remember we had, a, we had a men's prayer meeting at the church. And he had come to visit. And he, he, I talked about revival. And he spoke up and he said, well, Pastor, what is revival? I mean, it was a good, honest question. He'd only been to our church for just a little bit of time. And I said to him, I said, just off the cuff, I said, it is being desperate for your heavenly father. And he said, Pastor, that has never left me. He said, I have been desperate for my earthly father all my life. And he said, now that I know I have a heavenly father, I do not have to get his acceptance. I do not have to get his attention. He loves me unconditionally. You see, maybe you grew up in a home, a family. Maybe something happened to you. And you think this afternoon, God's not fair. God has not been as good to me as he's been to another pastor. He's not as good to me because I'm not married. He is not as good to me as he's been to someone else. It is nothing but the lie of the devil. Because, brethren, God is fair. God is good. God loves you unconditionally. I wonder now, you ought to take some time. I, I took some time in my life to write out views that I knew that I had of God that were wrong. And by the way, I believe the Holy Spirit will unveil those wrong views of God. Your view of God can be flawed. Number two, would you notice our notes here? Your view of God is foundational to your Christian life. It's foundational. Brethren, I believe today that as A.W. Tozer said it, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. A right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. I remember the story some time ago of a great pastor, actually pastored a Presbyterian church many, many years ago. Many of us have his commentaries, Dr. Donald Barnhouse. Dr. Barnhouse actually went to Princeton University when it was a good place to train preachers. But he went there, he trained there, he went away and began pastoring. And as many colleges do, they asked him to come back and to preach in college chapel. Well, in that college at Princeton, there was a very well-known professor by the name of Robert Wilson. He was a man that was well-respected, especially by uh, Dr. Barnhouse. And that day as he got up to the platform, as I'm standing right here, he said in that moment, Professor Wilson came and sat on the front row. It was a little unnerving to him. He was nervous about that. I mean, here's this well-respected man. He preached and he gave forth his heart. And after the message, Dr. Professor Wilson came up to him and said, Dr. Barnhouse, I will never be back to hear you if you come back to College Chapel again. 
You can imagine that Dr. Barnhouse was very troubled. He said, sir, what, what, what did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? He said, nothing. He said, Dr. Barnhouse, I always come to hear the college graduates one time when they come and preach in chapel. I want to know if they preach a big God or a little God. He said, today, after listening to you, you preach a big God, and there's no need to come and hear you again. You know what? That convicts my heart. Because I wonder in my home, I wonder in my church, do I preach a big God? Do I display a God who is, can do the impossible? Do I display the right view of God? You see, our view of God is foundational to our Christian life. If it is wrong, nothing can be right. And brethren, notice this. If your view of God is wrong, then your view of everything else in life is wrong. You know, I've tried to do, and I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest at it, marriage counseling. And sometimes I get more frustrated in marriage counseling than the people coming to talk to me, you know. And um, sometimes I just want to give them a club and let them beat them each over the head. Maybe that will help a little bit. But so often what we're dealing with is that they don't see God right. And that's why he doesn't treat her right. That's why she doesn't respect him. That's why he doesn't love her. I believe why young people do not respect their parents. They don't see God right. Because if we believe that this is the one God gave to us. My precious wife is here. And I have no better friend in this world than my wife. And I thank God for her. But I'm, I will say this to you. After 20, almost five years of being married, I didn't see marriage right because I didn't see God right. And when I viewed God right, then my marriage grew and strengthened because my view of God was the way it needed to be. And brethren, if things are not right in a church and if things are not right in a marriage or if things are not right in a relationship, get the right vision of who God is, the God of the Bible. Then everything else will be in its right place. In fact, our view of God always affects our behavior. You see, there are consequences to any view of God. If you have a view of God this afternoon that you believe God loves you and God cares for you and God is working all things together, then that's going to come out in your life. If your view of God is right, it affects every area of our life. Brethren, I believe that we live a certain way because we believe a certain way. In fact, do you know something that our beliefs affect our behavior and my belief about God affects my behavior to others and everything. J.I. Pecker said it best when he said disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded as it were with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. I had the privilege, um, literally we were, we could not make it to last night's service. That's the first time I've never not made it to the service and wanted to be here. But my assistant, uh, who's been with me now for six years, him and his wife, wonderful people, so very near and dear to my wife and I. They've been there six years, married about six years, and they've not been able to have children. And it's been tough. It's been difficult for them. In fact, I remember one time, and I know that Miss Candace, I know her brother's here, and I don't think she would mind me saying this, but I remember one time just her attitude, not that it was wrong, but I could tell something was not right. And she was working in the office uh, at the time, and 
her and my wife were sharing responsibilities in there. And, and you know, it's kind of a tough dynamic of being a pastor and being a boss at the same time. It sometimes can be difficult. And I brought her and her husband into my office and I said, hey, look, right now I just want to talk to you as a pastor. And I said, something doesn't seem to be right. Miss Candace, I, I just, I, I want to try to help you. Is there anything that I can help you with? And boy, she began to cry. And she began to say, every day I come into the office, the devil reminds me that this is, or says to me that this is God's judgment and I'm not able to have children. And boy, she struggled with that, battled with it. And she said, every day when I come in, it's just another reminder that I can't have children. I'd rather be home with my children. And I remember praying with them and crying with them and talking with them. Well, we weren't able to be here, uh, yes, last night because yesterday morning we had the privilege, my wife and I and our son, Joshua, that's with me here, to go to the courthouse in Springfield, Ohio. Because God opened a door for them to be able to literally go to a hospital and pick up a foster child, just a little baby, just a few weeks old, from the hospital. They've been working and we've been praying as a church that they would get to really adopt this little baby. And there we were in the courthouse. It's just been a year now, which is pretty amazing for if you know anything about this. But I had never been a part of an adoption, never. I never had seen that there. And I remember standing there and the judge was there and I didn't know this was going to happen, but the judge said, is your pastor here? And he, he said, yeah, he's back there. And that was me. And he said, Pastor, once you open up in prayer. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. I, I just I, I felt like I was a slobbering preacher at that point because I could not contain the emotion of what was happening there that day. Because let, let, let me share this with you. The thought that God adopts you and me into his family, that was what I was thinking there that day. I thought of a young couple who were just, I mean, they were crying. They were in gratitude that they could adopt this little baby and take care of this little child. And boy, we had a bunch of church members there. They were either going to let us let them adopt her or we were going to riot one or the other. I can tell you that, all right? But um, as we were standing there, it was just the overwhelming emotion as I thought to myself. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, son, as much as that couple wanted that little baby, that's how much I wanted you and infinitely more. Can I tell you something? That did something for me to that day. The view that I had of God increased that day by watching that adoption. And we understand that every illustration has its limitations. But may I say to you, how is your view of God this afternoon? We see here in the Bible, and we will not take a long time, but here are just some Bible characters who had the right view of God. They knew God. Now, Pastor Wayne, wonderful session that I got to hear this morning and talking about Moses. And Moses knowing the great I am, but I want you to notice in our, in our text here, Exodus chapter 33, the Bible says in verse 13, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee that I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God said to Moses, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses was going to have to do what no man had ever done. To go and stand before Pharaoh, who was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. 
You know the story. Moses, fearful. Moses, not knowing, could he ever do this? Who am I, God, to do this? But because Moses knew God, because Moses had the right view of God, then Pharaoh, he could stand in his presence. Do you know all of us have Pharaohs in our life? They might be people. They might be situations that we deal with, but they seem impossible. They seem almost so powerful that they become almost greater than God. But Moses could have not stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, unless he had first stood before God and had the right view of God. You see, that is what is so important. Do we have the right view of God? Quickly, talk about Job. Now, I give Job as an example because we know... That Job, the Bible says there was no man quite like Job. In fact, the Bible says he was a perfect man and one that feared God and one that eschewed evil. But if you study the book of Job, do you know what you will find with Job? You will find that all of Job's friends, by the way, he called them miserable comforters. Do you have some of them in your life, all right? (laughs) Job did. All of Job's friends basically said the same thing to Job. They said, You are experiencing suffering because there's some sin hidden in your life. Job, this is why you have this suffering, because there is hidden sin in your life. Now, Job knew that he was not harboring sin. Job knew that he was upright before God, but Job struggled with what to believe about God. Now, Job obviously had many of the right views of God. But would you journey with me quickly? Let's go to Job, if you would, please. And let's go to Job chapter number 13. Let's go there quickly in the Word of God. And I want you to see some of the struggles that Job had. In fact, I'm going to show you some different times in Job's journey that Job made statements about God that were not true. Job chapter 13, let's begin, and I want you to notice in verse 23, and let's look what Job chapter 13 and verse number 23. Job is speaking here, and he says, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Job is wondering. Here's a question. Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for thine enemy? Job, in a sense, was saying, God must be judging me for sins that he refuses to reveal to me. He said, God, you, you in a sense, are treating me like an enemy. Now, we are thankful for Job's transparency and that Job was willing to bear his heart before God. And God is going to deal with Job in love and care. But Job's view was not right. Do you think this afternoon, that God must be judging you, and there are sins that He has not even revealed to you. Let's go to Job chapter 16, if you would please. Job chapter 16, and let's look in verse number 12. Notice what the Bible says here. Job chapter 16, and verse number 12. Job says, I was at ease, but He hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. And set me up for his mark. Is it not true that many Christians that think that God is out to get them? He set me up for his mark. And Job is saying here, God is determined to find fault. God is determined 
to destroy me. Is that what you think of God? You know, I think many young people just think God is like, you know, someone is ready to pounce on them, ready to deal with them when they sin. Let's go to Job chapter 16. Look in verse number 17, if you would, please. Notice what Job goes on to say. Not for any injustice in mine hands. Also, my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. I believe Job is saying there that God has misjudged me. By the way, is it not true so often with teenagers, they say, my parents just don't understand me. When the truth of the matter is, the parents understand them more than they understand themselves. And the very thought that we think God has misjudged us, we have misjudged God. And the devil has misrepresented and distorted God's view to us. Let's go to Job chapter 23, if you would, please. Job chapter 23. And I'm just showing you some of the views that Job had. I remember in my life, Job chapter 23 was a very important passage to me, and God used it. But Job chapter 23, look in verse number 8. Look what the Bible says. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Now, let's not forget verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job, in a sense, was God's presence. is nowhere to be found. I cannot find his presence. How many of us at times have prayed and Lord, you don't hear my prayer. I do not receive anything from God. Our view of God is distorted. Let's go to verse number 13 of the same chapter of Job chapter 23. Notice what he says, but he is in one mind. And who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. He says, God has a hidden agenda, but it's really for no reason. God has his own agenda, and it's obviously not for me and for my good. Let's go to verse number 14. Notice this. The Bible says, For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. I believe Job, in a sense, is saying, God has just chosen that my life is going to be miserable for the rest of my life. Do we think that about God? Now, let's go, if you would please, to the passage I want to take you as we deal with Job. And Job chapter 42, if you would please. Job chapter 42. Now, we understand through the life of Job that God dealt very severely with his friends. In fact, the Bible talks about that in the day that Job prayed for his friends, everything changed. I mean, it's just amazing. But Job chapter 42, let's find out something about Job. And notice what it says in verse number 5. Job chapter 42 and verse 5. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, you know what's interesting? Job's friend says, Job, you need to repent. Job, you need to repent. And Job did repent, but for no sin in his life, but for misjudging God. He said, God, now that I see you, I repent in dust and ashes. Job assumed things of God that were not true. Brother, I wonder, 
Have you believed things about God that are not true? In fact, I put down here that often we are not broken over our sin because we have a low view of God. If we had the right view of God, if we saw him for who he is, high, holy, and lifted up, we would have the right view of sin. Therefore, our lack of repentance is related to our small vision of God. Brother, I don't know about you, but I've been in services before where I sensed God's presence and he was there. And I'm going to tell you something. You cannot, in a clear conscience, live with unconfessed sin in that sense of God's presence. It changes everything. Have you been in devotional time before and a devotional life where you're alone with God in prayer and God shows up and becomes a sacred moment? I'm going to tell you something. It changes everything about you. Listen, we want to repent. We want to have the right thinking because of our right view of God. Letter number C, we see Peter. Now, sometimes we like to be hard on Peter, but Peter is a lot like all of us here today. In fact, when Peter, Luke chapter 5 and verse number 8, when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Can I tell you what, Peter? When Peter saw who Christ is, when he had the proper view of the Lord, he fell at his feet and confessed who he was and who God was. Do you know so often we do not have the right view of ourselves because we do not see God right. And when we do not see God right, we do not see ourselves right. Peter had the right view of God. Let's go to Isaiah chapter number 6. I do not think we can ever talk about the right view of God without the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 6. We understand that Isaiah, the prophet, was prophesying during the time of Uzziah the king. In fact, Uzziah the king had been on the throne for 52 years. He was the only king that many people knew. In fact, this was around 740 years even before the very birth of Christ. And now that Uzziah was no longer on the throne, can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine the turmoil? And even in Isaiah's own life, I'm sure he thought, I look at this throne and now this man of God, Uzziah, is no longer on the throne. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched me, touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Who am I? Here am I. Send me. Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord. Now, he saw maybe what we will never be able to see, this side of heaven. But Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up, sitting on a throne. Think about that. 
He was on the throne. He was in control. In a world of confusion, there was God sitting on his throne. And brethren, when Isaiah saw the Lord, it changed everything. He saw himself for as he should. In fact, number one, I put underneath this, a high view of God creates a right view of self. When we view God right, we see ourselves right. When I was a young person and I grew up in a great home, I went to a great church and I'm thankful for that. But I had a distorted view of God. A very distorted view of God because the view of self was so wrong. And I remember one day someone trying to help me and they said to me, you don't think right about God because you don't see yourself in the right way. And you know, often we do not see ourselves. If we think of ourselves as a failure, we do not have the right view of God. If we think of ourselves as hopeless, we do not have the right view of God. If we think of ourselves as that God does not love us or God does not care for us, we do not see God for who he really is. I had a man say to me one day, and he said it with joy, and he said, I'll tell you something, I love the Lord. And he said, in fact, I've kind of got the ideal that I'm God's favorite. That's what he said to me. You know what I thought to myself? That's how all of us should think about God. That we are his favorite, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that we are on his mind and heart. And Isaiah, when he got the right view of God, he had the right view of self. When Isaiah saw God for who he was, he saw himself. Yes, he saw his sin, and it brought him to repentance. But yet he saw not only that, but number two, a high view of God creates a right view of surrender. By the way, brethren, when we come into God's presence, we see things about ourselves that we have never seen before. It shows us. You've ever gone to the doctor before, and I remember years ago working on my house, and, you know, first house we bought, I remember I called my dad. I said, Dad, I got the perfect house. I'm never going to have to do anything to this house. Everything's done already. Boy, I didn't know how houses go, you know. Home ownership. It wasn't a few weeks, we're fixing the plumbing. We're fixing electrical. I mean, all new electrical, all new plumbing. And, and I was, one day I was in the house working in the basement, fell, dislocated my left elbow. You talk about pain. Went to the doctor and he said, all right, son, we're going to put you to sleep. We're going to slam this thing back into place. That, that seemed like a blessing to me, all right? <laughs> and boy, they, they put me to sleep. And he told me before that, and I was a youth pastor. I said, hey, look, I've got a winter retreat. Uh, retreat coming up in just two weeks. You know, that's how you think in the ministry. I say, will this be better? He said, look, we'll put you in a cast. Everything will be fine. I thought, this is great. Went home. Next thing I know, I had an appointment. I had to meet up with a surgeon. And I thought, this is funny. I, I, he told me just to, you know, but I went in. The doctor took out an x-ray and said, son, let me tell you something. Well, the doctor replaced, when he slammed that back in, he destroyed your radial head in your arm. It allows your arm to do that. And he showed me all the little pieces of that radio head in my, in my arm. It's everywhere. Sir, we got to do major surgery. And you know, I could say, it looks good to me. Everything is fine. But the doctor could see what I could never see. And brethren, I believe that when we come into the presence of God, when we know him for who he really is, he shows us things about our lives. Yes, he shows us sin. Yes, he shows us areas that need to be dealt with. But I believe he does something else. He shows us the place of surrender. You see, I believe this afternoon, if you have the right view of God, you have already surrendered to do whatever God wants you to do. But if you don't have the right view of God, you are not going to surrender to a God that you do not trust. 
Why do people not want to surrender to God? Because they don't trust God. They don't think God will do what is best with their life. But Isaiah, when he saw the Lord in his wonder, in his glory, sitting on the throne, he said, woe is me. He had the right view of self. But then he said, Lord, here am I. Send me. You see, the God of the Bible, the God who is high, holy, and lifted up, is a God before whom we should be ready to do whatever he asks us to do. Not because it'll be worth it all one day, and it will be, but it's because of who he is. You see, I am not living in a sense for what I can get out of serving God. I am living for him because I have saw him for who he really is. So our view of God is often very flawed. Our view of God is foundational to our Christian life. But number three, your view of God can only be accurate by faith in his word. I remember the story of Ronald Reagan when he was just a boy. Ronald Reagan was with his aunt and they went to a shoe cobbler. Now for many young people, that's a person that makes shoes, all right? But they went to a shoe cobbler and he needed a pair of shoes. His aunt was going to pay for it. This is young Ronald Reagan, former president of the United States. And the man looked at Mr. Reagan and said to him, said, son, would you like round-toed shoes or would you like square-toed shoes? And Ronald had never thought about that before and he really couldn't make up his mind. And he said, Sir, he said, son, don't worry about it. I'll see you in a couple of days and let me know your decision. Well, a few days passed. He saw Ronald Reagan and he said, son, have you determined what you want, round-ended or square-ended? And young Ronald Reagan just still couldn't make up his mind. He said, son, don't worry about it. Just come and see me in a few days. And sure enough, he came to the shoe cobbler He said, son, I got your shoes ready. And he brought them out and he had one round-ended shoe and one square-ended shoe. And he said, Ronald Reagan looked at that and thought, I'm going to look very strange walking around in the crowd with that. And then the man looked at him and said this, son, do not let people make decisions for you. And Ronald Reagan, later on, as he was the president of the United States, he remembered that story and told it. And he said, I found then that if I don't make my own decisions, others will make them for me. And here's the point of the illustration. If we do not decide by faith in God's word that we are going to let the word of God dictate to us and show to us the right view of God, then I promise you someone else will. You see, some of us, we, we get this wrong view of God. Some of it we get from our family, our upbringing. We get it from trials and testings in our life when things do not make sense and God does not seem to be fair or God seems to be distant. And if we do not determine by faith that this is going to teach me the view of God, then you'll get the wrong view of God. You see, this afternoon, rather than I pray that we would understand that really this world is moving in a state of confusion. It is in a confusion, but God is not the author of confusion. But the devil has created this confusion about who God is. You know something, my children, I thank God for them, I love them. My son, he's our youngest son, 15 years of age, he's with us. And what's amazing to me is we still have the same amount of food when we had three kids in the home. So I, I, you know, I think he's just picked up, you know. Skinny as ever, too. But I'll tell you this. I, I want my children. What do you want for your children? I'll tell you what I want for my children. I want my children to know God, and I want them to have the right view of God. Because when they come into God's presence, then I'm going to tell you something. Everything changes for their life. 
when they've come into his presence and they know him for who he really is, the God of care, the God of kindness, the God of compassion, the God of love, that's that God. That's the God I serve. And brethren, when we read his word, oh, the devil wants to bring condemnation. He wants to bring guilt. But when we see God for who he really is, we get the right view of God and it changes everything in our life. In fact, I want to ask you something. Do you know the Lord this afternoon? I'm not asking you, do you know facts about God? We might know many facts about God. We might be able to quote many verses about the Lord. But do we really know him? I believe this. It is impossible for you to have an accurate view of God without his precious word. Brethren, this is how God reveals himself to you and me. This is the revelation of God to man. It is through his word. Therefore, if we neglect his word, we will never have the right view of God. If we do not hide the word of God in our hearts, we will never have the accurate view of God. Now, folks, um, Octavius Winslow, one of my favorite authors, said this. This God who has made such a divine and wonderful revelation of himself, his being and his mind, his will and heart, in his word is our God. In other words, the God of the Bible is ours. All that that inspired and precious volume declares concerning him, all the thoughts of his mind it reveals, all the love of his nature it makes known, all the teaching of his spirit it conveys, all the precious promises, all the gracious invitations, and the glorious hopes and solemn warnings and faithful admonitions it contains are ours because the God of the Bible is ours. Accept the Bible as your own. Read it as the letters of your heavenly Father addressed personally to you. Friends, God gave you his word so that you may know him personally, that he may fellowship with you, that there may be an intimacy between you and God. By the way, I wonder how many of us have ever, you've talked to someone on the phone, and once you met them, you thought to yourself, they are nothing what I thought they were supposed to be. Would you lift your hand and hold it up high? We've all done that. I've told my wife before, well, they're nothing what I thought they would look like. They don't act anything what they sounded on the phone. We did not know them. You know, my wife and I, when we got married, I remember I loved her with as much love as I could love my wife. But the truth of the matter is, I really didn't even know what love was. I thought I knew my wife as much as I could ever know her, but I am really knowing my wife. You see, brethren, we come to know Christ as our Savior, and we know the Lord. But it is so important that our minds, and I believe as Dr. Jim talked about, our minds must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, the Word of God does this. In fact, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I first came to our church, and... Um, I grew up in Tennessee. My wife grew up in Georgia, southern people. And we went to rural Ohio. Great people. We love them. But I remember most of our people had never eaten Chick-fil-A. And I think that's just downright sin right there, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, probably 97, 98%, they never heard of it. So I remember we had a fellowship. And I said, folks, we are catering in Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was an hour away. We went and got Chick-fil-A. 
I, I can, I'll never forget this. People came up to me with their plate, lots of Chick-fil-A that they had poured onto their plate. Pastor, this is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. I said, I told you it would change your life right then and there. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Every time we have a function, preacher, we have not Chick-fil-A, you know. Every time. I remember bringing sweet tea into our church. They had never had sweet tea. I'm going to tell you, I don't think God intended for us to drink unsweetened tea. I just don't think it's ever intended, all right? But I remember we, we brought in sweet tea. I had people coming up to me. Now, they were shaking a little bit when they came up to me. But they said, preacher, this is the greatest thing I've ever had in my life. Now, you know, every time we have a function, preacher, are we having sweet tea? Of course we're having sweet tea. Can I tell you this? Their view changed on everything about food. And brethren, it's a very simple illustration. But I wonder, what do you have, the view of your time alone with God? Is it, I've got to spend this time. I don't really enjoy this time with the Lord, but I've got to spend this time. You see, has it become dread? Has it become something that we don't enjoy? Or is it something that we think, I can't wait to be alone with God because we see him for who he is. Not a God. Yes, he's a God of judgment, but he is a God of love. He is a God of mercy and grace. And I want to be in his presence because that God loves me and that God has a plan for my life. That changes everything. You see this afternoon, your view of God is essential to personal revival. Your view of God is essential to your prayer life. Your view of God is essential to your sanctification. Your view of God is essential to your holiness. It's essential. So if we don't have the right view of God, and I would say this afternoon, oh God, help me in my view of God, then seek a greater view of who God is. And it is only through his precious word. This is the accurate view of who God really is. By the way, I believe that every one of us are displaying verbally and often non-verbally what we believe about God. You know, I, I think about this. My life is speaking to my children what I believe about God. My life is speaking to my wife what I really believe about God. And here's a question for me as a pastor. Am I harming what people think about God and who God is by my speech? Am I harming what people think about God by the life that I'm portraying? And I'm not talking about wearing a mask. I'm talking about, is my life a display of who God really is? My wife and I can talk about this. First church we went to to serve and I was an assistant for 12 years. There was a lady right beside of me, Miss Lydia. She's home with the Lord now. Used to work at the Bill Rice Ranch many, many years ago, but she was there as the secretary. That lady sang. I almost had to close my door sometimes just so I could focus. But that lady had the joy of the Lord about her life. I knew that lady spent time with God, and God was real to her. And I remember sometimes I'd walk through, and she would say, Brother Samples, oh, I want you to know, let me show you something I read in the Word of God this morning. You know what? Sometimes it almost irritated me because my view of God was not right. And she knew the God. Often I would remember saying, Lord, I want to know God like she knows God. And I wonder, can people say about your life and my life, I want to know God like they know God. They have saw the Lord right. Brethren, what are you saying about God by your lack of prayer? What are you saying about God by your murmuring? What are you saying about God by your criticism of others what are you saying about God by poor marriage relationship you see our greatest need today is to see God as he really is and to worship 
him in spirit and in truth. Folks, I believe if things are not what they should be and you're not convinced in your heart about it, then seek from God a greater vision of who he really is. Seek a greater vision of God and God will give you peace to rest in him. He will give you peace to know that he is in control. And I'm not talking about some um, vision. I'm not talking about something that is wrong or something that is not there. I'm talking about seeing God through his word and knowing him. Jeremiah chapter 9 in closing says this. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I was a young person, and our family went through something very, very difficult to such a degree that we were sitting in a courthouse and I was just a young person. I did not know what was going to happen that day. I knew the ramifications of what could have happened would have literally destroyed our family in many ways. I remember sitting there that day and I didn't really, I knew the Lord as my Savior, but I did not know who God really was. I didn't see him as I should have seen him or I wanted to see him. There was a man in that church that was there that day. That man took an, an interest in my life. I had great parents, but you know, I needed other people to influence me. And this man, he was a deacon in the church. I remember he often in church would tell me, hey son, stand up straight. You'll be taller if you stand up straight. Well, I didn't like him for a certain amount of time. <laughs> he always seemed to get on to me. I remember when he saw that I was sitting with my wife-to-be. He said, boy, that's a pretty girl there, but don't do anything to mess it up, you know? And, boy, I just, I, 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 but I knew that that man loved me. That man taught me how to have devotions. I knew he walked with God. My mom and dad would leave me with him and his wife and my two sisters with them often when my mom and dad would go out of town. They were my godparents. But that man showed me the love of Christ like Probably no other person has ever done. And in that courtroom, when it got intense and when I did not know, I began to cry as a young man. I was, I was embarrassed by it. But I was so overwhelmed with emotion. That man I was sitting beside grabbed me and pulled me into him. And he held me as I wept. God came through and God worked a great miracle that day, but I will never forget that man's arm around me. And many times I've gone to God in prayer and I said, God, I just need you to hold me a little bit just like that man held me. And can I tell you something that gave me the right view of God in that instance? Brethren, today, are you suffering with a distorted view of God? Is your view of God wrong? Has God in this session, has he dealt with you about your view of God? What do you think about God? Let's bow our heads in prayer.